Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases across the country every week. We are recording this podcast, I always have to check, on June 24th, 2020. I'm Anna Garcia because it feels like the days just blend into each other. Our guest today is former prosecutor and Oxygen host Lonnie Coombs. Welcome back to the program, Lonnie. Thanks, Anna. It's great to be here. I understand you're back shooting again (laughs) for Oxygen. Little by little, we'll start. I did some um, promos and then we're supposed to start out on location at the end of July. But, you know, all of the restrictions are being followed. And so um, everything's very different. But we're we're able to do the work again. So that's great. That's fantastic. Well, we're so glad you made some time for today. We've got two cases, both out of Texas. And they're, as usual, very tragic, very confusing and complicated. So the two cases that we are following this week from Texas, the Army now suspects foul play in the case of the missing Fort Hood soldier Vanessa Guillen. But first, a fugitive Texas mom who had been on the run for seven years, wanted by the police for allegedly killing her husband while their children slept in their beds, has finally been caught. 48-year-old Maria Montalvo was caught at the U.S.-Mexico border. She was trying to actually get back into California. This is what I never get, Lonnie, is like, if you flee, why in the world do you come back to the jurisdiction that is going to arrest you the minute you step foot, right? Exactly. And yet we see this over and over again, right? It's like they can't stay away from the scene of the crime. So whether it was family members or whatever, she was coming back and forth. She just didn't do the safe thing and stay in Mexico. I don't get it. Oh, you know, right? Okay, well, she was arrested trying to cross the border. Maria is now back in Texas, and she's facing that murder charge. That murder charge was actually filed back in 2013, and that's when her husband's body was found. She's being held on $1 million bond. So let's go back in time and see what happened in this case. So Maria and Simon Montalvo were married. They had two boys, and they lived in DeSoto, Texas. Now, 43-year-old Simon was last seen on April 21st at a burger restaurant in Arlington, Texas. A week later, on April 28th, the whole family, mom, dad, the two boys, are missing. They're reported missing like, you know, no one has seen them. Family hasn't heard from them. They haven't shown up at work. On May 4th, 
This is so interesting. On May 4th of 2013, around 1030 at night, Simon's brother goes to the house because he wants to install a security camera. But here's why he wants to install the security camera. He believes that someone has been going in to feed the family dog and he can't figure out his brother and their family and his family are missing. The dog is somehow still alive. So he thinks by installing this camera, he's going to figure out what's going on with the family, right? But in doing so, he detects this odor in the backyard. He looks around and he finds this body and it is ultimately, it ends up being his brother. And it appears that the brother has been stuffed into trash bags, covered with blankets, and then covered with those giant, like, um, you know, gardening stones. Yeah, like pavers, right? Yes. The big flat ones, yeah. Exactly. He calls the police. Police come out to the house. They identify, indeed, that is his brother at the scene. Then they go through the house, and they find that in the master bedroom, there are some gunshots. There's blood in the master bedroom. There's also blood in the hallway. So... Now the question is, where is the rest of the family, right? Because the wife is missing. Where are the kids? Are the kids okay? Nobody knows. Um, police do their due diligence, start asking about family relatives. They find out that the two boys are indeed alive. They are in Indiana with relatives. So The wife's relatives. The wife's relatives. Mm -hmm. So the police in Texas ask the police in Indiana to please go check on the boys, see what's going on. Police talk to the two boys. They actually interview the older one. And he tells this very interesting story. He says that the night before they left, he heard their parents arguing. Then the boys went to sleep. And then they woke up in the middle of the night because they heard something like three claps. Went back to sleep. In the morning, they wake up. Dad's not there. So they just assume dad's gone to work. Mom says... We are going to go visit the relatives. So pack up your stuff. We're going to go. And the, and the boy says, tells the police, and I asked my mom about the sound. And she said, oh, um, a cabinet fell over in the night. And the boy even says to the police, well, that's really weird because why would one cabinet falling create three claps? Mm -hmm. Which yeah. we now know would have been the gunshots. Right. Um, and the mother She's gone. She dropped off the boys and she took off and was gone for the next seven years. How crazy is this? It is crazy to think that, uh, one, that the mother would shoot her husband in a house where her boys, who are aged five and 11, were asleep just down the hallway in their bedrooms. Um, and then to be able to get away with it, to literally be able to hide the body take the boys away, and then disappear. And it looks like if she had just stayed missing, she could have gotten away with this murder. Well, she actually did herself in because there was a security system at the house with surveillance cameras outside. And now I don't understand. How do you not know that there are cameras there? What ultimately police were able to find is that there is surveillance video that not only can you hear what appears to be gunshots, but you actually see her moving what appears to be the body of her husband in this surveillance video. So if you piece everything together, it looks like she shot her husband. Somehow she gets him from the bedroom into her car, like an SUV, 
puts her husband in in the SUV, in the vehicle, then drives to the back of the house, because I guess it's too far to drag him, drives to the back of the house where there's a big backyard. And then in the video, you can actually see her dragging this covered body. You know, it's covered in plastic bags and a blanket. And she is struggling to get the body to where she wants to at the back of the fence. Then the next day, the video picks up. You see her vehicle parked in the backyard, and then you see her walking many times, multiple times in front of the car, carrying the giant rocks, those pavers, yeah. one by one, struggling. So she must have done that in the morning. I don't know if the boys would have seen that. And then they presumably took off for Indiana. Well, apparently, you know, the police um, actually showed this video to the media, to the local Fox channel in 2016. So this is three years after she's been on the run. I'm not sure why they decided to do that. Maybe they thought that this would help um, find her. Uh, but it is amazing because, one, it lays out a timeline, right? So you actually hear the gunshots in the middle of the night. They say around one in the morning. And then you see her at some point come down. And, you know, it's interesting because you always wonder how a woman would be able to carry a dead body of a man because dead weight is really heavy. And yet we're able to see in this video that she wrapped him up in plastic bags and then used a sheet to help be able to pull him, to drag him instead of having to lift him. And then you see the back of the SUV and her trying to lift the body in. My understanding is she wasn't able to actually get him into the SUV, so she drags the body somewhere else. So I'm not sure about that part. And then apparently the police say she went and cleaned for hours. And then in the morning, she got up, took the boys to school, came back and had a bunch of these pavers that she was moving somewhere in the car, somewhere in the uh, yard. And she used those to then cover the body with these pavers. Um, and then she spent some time cleaning off the patio where she had drugged the body. I mean, it's all on camera. And like you said, why she didn't remember that there was a camera there, unless maybe she didn't install the camera. I don't know. Maybe it was sort of a hidden camera that her husband installed. Who knows? But um, that it was literally all on camera for them to see her doing this. It is, it is, you know, the perfect evidence for the prosecution. So it wasn't that they didn't have the evidence showing that it was her that did it. It was that they couldn't find her after all that time. Yeah, she was actually indicted, I believe, in June uh, of his murder. In and, absentia. In absentia, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, and she'd been on the run. What we don't know is, did she ever really have contact with her kids or family? And this is the question that we always, I always ask. Can someone actually be on the run for that long without the assistance of friends and family? Because you have to live, you have to sustain yourself, right? Right, right. And, and it's interesting, when the police did release that video, they said, you know, there was stuff on this video that was even hard for the family to see. So perhaps what they were doing is trying to let the family know, maybe they suspected that the family was helping her. Because like you said, it's very hard to be on the run for that long, especially if you're trying to keep contact with your kids without help. Maybe they wanted the family to see, look, she really did this. You need to see what she did. So maybe you'll help us, you know, be able to track her down. Do you think the fact that when, you know, families always know when someone, they don't hear from someone, you start worrying. And within the 20, first 24 hours that you don't hear from someone, yeah. You know, you pretty much know something is wrong. So my question is, like, in those first few weeks, 
Do you think that the police didn't take this seriously enough? Because think yes. about it, the signs were there. There were bullet holes in the in the bedroom, right? Yeah, Even you know she cleaned up. Yeah, and it's interesting because in in 2016, when this video is released, the police said that they actually went and looked in the house several times during that two weeks that they were missing, right? And they said they couldn't find any evidence of what had happened. Well, three bullet holes in a master bedroom wall, I don't think would necessarily be that hard. And then they said they found blood in the master bedroom in the hallway. So I'm not sure that they really did anything during that time to look for this missing family. And then you look around, right? We all look for surveillance cameras and that surveillance camera was right there. So it's hard to imagine that if they had stepped foot in that house or walked around it like they should have looking for a missing family, that they would not have found that evidence. Prior to this brother, thank heavens, the brother went over there and he said, look, he was trying to do anything he could do to help the police. Um, and he finds the body. I mean, that's when the police all of a sudden, you know, get involved and come inside the house and find the gunshot wounds, the gunshot holes and, and the blood in the house and eventually the surveillance camera video. But thank heavens for that brother, right? Yeah, and, and they they missed some really precious time there because yeah. while she's making her getaway plan, because this may not have been premeditated, this may have been a heat of the moment, especially if they were having an argument, mm -hmm. that um, they probably could have caught her a lot yeah. sooner than seven years. And the only reason they caught her is because she was stupid enough <laughs> to try and come back into the United States where there's a warrant for her arrest. Yeah. And, and the police said they felt that she had been coming back and forth for a while. They just hadn't caught her. So um, they finally did. And I think that that's likely to. My, my guess is this was not the first time that she tried to get into the United States. Now, here's the other thing that I think police didn't take seriously enough. There was apparently at least a police record of domestic violence in which she had been aggressive toward her husband. It was a year earlier where she apparently took, um, I guess, a metal um, pot holder and threw it at her husband, at Simon. Um, I think she was arrested. And then uh, she ended up not having to serve any time because they diverted her to one of those domestic violence uh, programs, which clearly did not work. Right. Exactly. Well, she and apparently it was on Simon's birthday that this happened when she was arrested and she was charged with a misdemeanor, which means there probably weren't a lot of injuries and she was allowed to do the diversion program, which is, uh, you know, a typical way to handle a domestic violence case a first time without a lot of injuries. Um, but like you said, it, it didn't work, but there was that history there. And the brother said that, in fact, he said when he found the body, you know, he just touched part of the plastic bag and felt a hand. He didn't do any more, but he said, I'm guessing it's my brother because she has been abusive to him in the past. So there was this history that they knew about. Well, she's been arrested. She was actually arrested on May 19th in San Diego, and then it took some time to extradite her back to Texas, where she is now in a jail cell and being held and awaiting trial now. And man, it, this is just, it's so sad for those two boys yeah. because their father is dead. And now their mother is in, in jail and most likely in prison for the rest of her life. Yeah. And they'll probably have to come testify, at least the older one. 
Yeah, about what they heard and what they saw, absolutely. So she was indicted on murder back in 2013. What we don't know is whether she has entered a plea yet on the murder charge as of the recording of this podcast, and we will keep an eye on this case. So, Lonnie, we are staying in Texas, but we're moving over to Colleen, where Vanessa Guillen, a 20-year-old private first class at Fort Hood, has been missing since the afternoon of April 22nd, 2020. Now, there was speculation this week that there may have been a break in the case because the skeletal remains of another soldier who had been missing from Fort Hood were found nearby. These were the remains of Private Gregory Morales. He'd been missing since August of 2019, but military officials say that so far, they don't believe that there is a connection between these two. So Vanessa is all of five feet, two inches tall. She weighs 126 pounds. She has black hair and um, brown eyes. She was last seen in a black t-shirt and purple athletic pants. This is important because she was not in her military fatigues because her family says that she was off this day and was called into work. And this is part of some of the suspicion around this case as to whether she may have been lured back to the base. Uh, she was last seen sometime between 11.30 and 12.30 p.m., so 11.30 a.m., 12.30, so short window around lunchtime on April 22nd. And that would have been, she would have been seen in the parking lot of Squadron Headquarters. Here's what's very bizarre. Her car, her car keys the room to her barracks, her military ID, and her wallet were all found in an armory room where she was working on, you know, she was doing some kind of inventory or working on some weapons in the weapons room. So since that day and that moment, no one has heard from Vanessa. What the military is now saying, and this is quite a change of tune for them, they are now saying that they believe that there is foul play and... The Army has actually released a video making an appeal for help in this case. And here's a little bit of that. Phantom Warriors, friends in Central Texas, I'm Major General Scott Eflon, the Deputy Commanding General of Three Corps, and I need to share with you a burden that we have here at Fort Hood and request your assistance. On 22 April, Vanessa Guillen, PFC in the 3rd Cavalry Regiment, was at her place of duty, and around noon is the last time anyone has seen her. Since that time, we've continued to search for, and there's an active investigation from the Criminal Investigation Command. But we want to bring Vanessa home as efficiently and as rapidly as possible. And towards that end, I'm asking for your assistance. Somebody, some person out there has the piece of information we need to bring Vanessa home. We will continue to search for our missing member of our Army family. If you're the person that has the information we need, I ask you please call 254-495-7767. We need to bring Vanessa back to her Army family and to bring her back to her family. We won't stop this effort until we're successful. And with your help, we can be successful sooner. Thank you. Lonnie, what's interesting about this videotape and this appeal is that, one, it's being done several months after she disappeared. Yep. One flag. Flag number two is that it's quite an about face 
for the army because in the beginning, according to the family, they kind of just ignored this and said that there was there's no there there. Yeah. And now it is actual foul play. So something has changed here. So, Lonnie, don't you find this about face in the military's position on what happened to Vanessa? Very suspicious. Yes. And I actually find it infuriating because two months ago, and as we know, when someone goes missing, that is a critical time. Those first, you know, 24, 48 hours, the family re re reported her missing. Um, apparently they couldn't find her anywhere and yet they acted like it wasn't a big deal. Um, how does someone go missing from one of the most secure places, right? This, this army base, uh, when there's supposed to be all of these checks and balances there. And for two months, the army just kind of shrugs their shoulders. Like we don't know where she is, but it's no big deal. Then they find the remains of the body of a soldier who went missing 10 months ago. And there's no way they can hide that, right? That's out there. So all of a sudden we have this plea of, oh, now we suspect foul play in this missing female soldier. Um, why they didn't suspect foul play before? Because nothing's changed in her case, right? Other than they found this uh, other missing soldier's body. So now suddenly they're going to take this seriously and say there's foul play. Why couldn't they have figured that out beforehand? Why didn't they figure that out right when she was reported missing, when there were all of these red flags we talked about? The fact that her car keys, her room key, her wallet, her ID card are all left in the armory where she was supposedly working on a day when she wasn't supposed to be working. She was called in for some reason. Um, her phone, her cell phone's missing. Uh, right there is like, what's going on here? And, and there should be very easy ways to try and track her at that point. You know, track the cell phone. Look at surveillance video from around the base. They supposedly have check-ins on the base, you know, at certain times throughout the day. Where was she during that time? Who called her in to work? There are so many things they could have been checking right then. Uh, talk to the family because the family has some interesting information uh, about her. You know, as far as she had told her mother that she was being sexually harassed by a superior on the base. Right there, you have a person of interest. Look into that. There's a lot that the um, Army could have been doing right off the bat, and yet they didn't do it for two months. Well, what I find very troubling is that I believe Fort, Fort Hood has to be one of the most secure places on the planet because there have been two massacres on that base that took place in 2009 and in 2014, and for those who don't remember, I mean, the, these were horrific shootings that took place. In 2009, 13 people were shot dead and 30 people were injured when an army psychiatrist went on a rampage. Then in 2014, an enlisted man killed three people, wounded 16, and then he killed himself. So given that there have been these massacres on the base. There is no way that you can convince me that there isn't a camera on every square inch of that military base and that they don't know who is going in and who is who is leaving every second of every day, given those two events. That's right. So, exactly. so that means that they know exactly when Vanessa entered the military base and if she actually left and any of her movement on the base had to have been captured by 
surveillance cameras. I, I just refuse to believe otherwise. So if that is so, because I'm going to take that as a given right now, because it's just so logical, then how is it possible that they cannot tell us where Vanessa was truly last seen and who she was with? Her family says she was called into work that day. The family says that she was looking at weapons, working with serial numbers, that she supposedly sent a text from her phone to her supervisor with a serial number of one of the weapons. The family says, well, that's kind of bizarre. Like, why would you be texting that information? Isn't there a way that you would more securely be sending information if you are being called in during the middle of a pandemic, right, mm -hmm. to get this, you know, work done on whatever weapons uh, need to be inventoried, for example, right? Yeah. So that's very unusual. And then what you mentioned about the sexual harassment uh, the mother says, Vanessa's mother says that she was being harassed by a superior, that um, one instance, Vanessa went into the shower and she was naked and that this superior supervisor followed her and was watching her and that Vanessa complained that whenever she was on a run or was exercising, he was there mm -hmm. watching her. Mm -hmm. But the military says she never filed a complaint, an official complaint, and never named um, the person who was harassing her. So uh, but, they say, yes. But she did tell her mother the reason she didn't, didn't want to report it is because she knew other women who had reported him and they weren't believed. They weren't taken seriously. So there might be reports by other women about this person that they could be looking at at least as a person of interest, right? Yes. In fact, there was a news conference, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, where the military has now said that they have this investigation into the um, sexual uh, harassment of Vanessa and that they are getting information from people who she confided in. So they have a separate investigation into that. But still, we don't have any information on where where is Vanessa. Now, here's the other thing that's really suspicious. So she gets called in on this day, right? That's her day off. And I guess they do checks every night to make sure that everyone is in the barracks. So presumably she would have been staying that night. We were initially told, meaning the family was initially told that the uh, bed checks had been done. And everyone was where they were supposed to be, meaning Vanessa was there. And now that superior has supposedly changed his story and says, oh, you know what? I did not see Vanessa that day. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say it. I fear a cover-up here. Yeah. Someone's well, lying. Well, and apparently during the day they do checks too. There were... There's a 9 a.m. check and a 3 p.m. check to make sure that soldiers are accounted for. And, and like you said, one of those checks, they said they, they saw her, and now they're going back and recanting and saying, oh, no, they didn't really see her. I, I think that, uh, you know, when it comes to these military investigations of their own, it's very hard to feel like you're getting transparency because we're obviously not, right? They're, they could very easily give a timeline at this point of where she was during the day, what she was doing, where uh, they lost track of her. Nothing like that. No information. They could be giving information off of her phone. They said that there was a, a text about a serial number. 
what was the actual text or was it just a line of numbers that they are assuming was a serial number, but maybe it was something else. Maybe it was a code. Maybe it was a phone number. We don't know. Do we even know if that phone at that time, if it came from her phone, was it in her possession at that time? Or could it have been sent by someone else? Because remember, we don't know where the phone is. So there are a lot of different things that they are looking at that we're not getting any information from. And the family is not getting any information about it. And sadly, apparently the family says that for those two months, they couldn't really get anyone to pay attention to them, to listen to them, to answer their questions. Now a congresswoman is involved. And thank heavens, that apparently seems to be getting some more reaction. So they're getting some answers and getting some meetings, but they're still not getting information about their daughter. Absolutely. Things did change when the congresswoman got involved. And because she works on the federal level, then she has the ability to deal with the military. She also said she's contacted the senators from the state of Texas to also help. Um, The mother at this press conference that I was watching this week, she was speaking in Spanish. And, you know, she said she would she felt so ill on the day that they found the other missing soldier because she was so afraid that they were going to find Vanessa dead. Mm -hmm. Um, She's still holding on to hope that somehow Vanessa might be alive. Although with these cases, it generally is unlikely because she hasn't surfaced anywhere. There hasn't been a sighting of her, a text or anything like that. So it's probably unlikely, but as a mother, you always hold out hope. Mm -hmm. The other thing that the mom said that was so moving, she said, you know, ever since my My daughter, ever since Vanessa was 10 years old, she used to talk about always wanting to be a soldier and be in the military. And the mom said that she never took it seriously. She just thought this was a a silly, like, kid game. Yeah. But no, Vanessa was really serious. She wanted to be a soldier. She wanted to be in the military. It was her lifelong dream. And so the mother, again, was saying, you know, here's this 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 young woman who is giving up her life for this country and and the army who should be standing up for her and protecting her, the government, where are they? I just feel like we're, we're getting a bunch of BS from everybody and she's missing and clearly there is more information on that military base about Vanessa. I'm sorry, but there is no way that they have that they don't have more information. I, I, I'm appalled at this. Yeah. Well, and thank heavens, you know, more people are getting involved as far as putting the spotlight on it because that's, sadly, it seems like sometimes that's the only way you get results. You know, from the congresswoman to celebrities are now picking up, you know, on this and starting to put it out in social media. Um, and they have brought in, you know, the FBI and other law enforcement agencies to help help them. They've said, you know, they're using their resources and sources. So hopefully maybe there's going to be some oversight. Um, It would be more comforting, I'm sure, to the family if actually one of those agencies took it over. So it wasn't just oversight, but they were actually running the investigation. Um, Because you always worry that if it ends up being someone there from the base, that there's pressure to cover it up, right? To not let it get out, not let that bad reputation get out there. And like you said, Fort Hood has had a lot of um, horrific things happen there. Um, And, and there might be pressure to not, you know, let this get out in the public. But this is a young woman who, like you said, dedicated her life to service for this country and was already in a situation 
that was difficult for her, you know, allegedly being sexually harassed, but not wanting to jeopardize her position there um, by reporting it and getting, you know, retaliated. She really wanted to do this work. This is what she wanted to do. And she was um, dedicated to it. So the the family says that the person who called Vanessa in to work on what was presumably her day off was the same supervisor who had been harassing her. We don't know if that's true, yeah. but that's what the family says. Yeah, yeah. And that's the kind of thing that they should be following up in detail. That's the kind, those are all the little links they need to be putting together. Yeah, well, thank goodness that the family has been so vocal and been fighting so hard and they finally at least have some assistance now. Lonnie, it is time for our comment section. These are the crime cases that our viewers and subscribers are talking about. And I have to tell you, I love this first one. So an 88-year-old liquor store owner in Nashville, Tennessee, shoots an alleged thief. She tells the cops, I am fed up. She's 88 years old. So 88-year-old May Boyce now faces an aggravated assault charge after she shot a man who she thought was a thief, was trying to steal some whiskey, she said. And May has been arrested and released on a $10,000 bond. Now, Boyce told the New York Post, I did what I had to and I hope word gets out on the street that I'm fed up and I'm not taking it anymore. You've got to stick up for yourselves sometimes. So May says that the two men were trying to steal some whiskey. So she grabbed, this is the amazing part. She grabbed her mother's 38. Okay. Okay. Oh my goodness. May is 88. Mm -hmm. Her mom has since passed, but this is her mother's gun. Okay. Oh boy. These are some strong women. (laughs) It's just, just incredible. So that's when she grabbed her 38. So clearly, you know, she is not messing around. I have a question though, Lonnie, if, She's the store owner, right? And she says that a crime was being committed. Does she not have a right? I don't know what the law is on that. Yeah, where'd this happen? I mean, you know, some states Nashville, have- Tennessee. Okay, I would have to actually look that up because oh, some, okay, states, right. some states, you know, they have stand your ground laws where you can defend your home. Um, you can defend your property. Uh, if she felt that she was being, you know, she had to defend herself. You don't usually get to use deadly force to defend property. So if they were just stealing something and running away with it, you can't shoot for that reason. Well, she was clearly charged. So obviously the authorities believe that she was uh, not in the right. However, uh, others disagree. Robin W. writes, wait, what? How is she the one in trouble here? The alleged victim admitted he went there to rob her. And then any recanted statement by the victim is irrelevant since it is self-serving. Cynthia S. writes, why do criminals have more rights than store owners? And Sam S. writes, damn, she got more street cred than Drake. She definitely got street cred there. I mean, that's what she wanted, right? She wants it to be known out on the street that her store, she's going to be defending it. Yeah, and it's not easy. You know, it is not easy to be a store owner. It's not easy to be an 88-year-old woman trying to make some money and stay safe in this crazy world that we're living in. It's extremely upsetting, you know, for an 88-year-old woman who's trying to run this business and who's apparently being targeted um, for these people coming in and stealing from her store. But I don't want any way to say that it's a okay ever to shoot someone you know with a deadly weapon who's running away with property 
Um, and I'm hoping that she can find another way to be able to protect herself and her property that's not using, uh, you know, deadly force where someone may die. Because that's not good for anybody. It's not good for the robber and it's not good for her either. Right. All right. This next case is just really disturbing. What is wrong with people? Police in California are looking for a woman who coughed on a one-year-old in a yogurt shop. Police in San Jose are seeking help from the public to identify the woman caught on camera coughing on a one-year-old in a yogurt land earlier this month. San Jose police say that the woman was wearing a mask while she was waiting in the line and that she got upset because there was a woman also in the line with this baby and that she says that the woman was not following the social distancing guidelines. And so she got upset with the woman in the stroller and she took off her mask and she coughed two to three times in the baby's face. So, I don't know. I mean, is that, it's it's like coronavirus is really testing our legal system on, yeah. on interpretations of what could be an assault or right. something else. Right, and I think that um, this behavior is out there. Um, I think people are going crazy for whatever reason, mentally taxed through all of this. And you see people... Um, whether they're just like, you know, you've seen the videos of people, you know, licking food in the store and coughing. And this one's, you know, on a whole nother level where she's coughing in a baby's face because she's mad that they're not doing social distancing. Um, you know, at, at some point, these are assaults, you know, or batteries or there are charges that can be applied to this. And I think that at some point there's going to have to be a deterrent so people know that they can't act out in this way. No, police are looking for her. Absolutely. And this was deliberate because she pulled the mask off to cough. It's not like she just coughed through her mask and maybe had a cough at the time. This was right. a deliberate act. And she so, chose to do it to the baby. She didn't even do it to the woman. I mean, the baby, you know, is, is just a vulnerable little innocent child sitting there, has no choice in any of this. No, I, I agree with you. Not that it would have been okay to do that to the mom. Right. But nonetheless, it's that more egregious, I think. I yes. think. Yeah. So Denise W. writes, this lady needs to get some mental help. This is so wrong. What did that baby do to her? Veronica A. She's lucky that wasn't my child and that I respect older people. These Karen slash Marges are trying to test people on the streets and it is not good. And Nicole D. writes, karma will catch up to her. Just sit back, grab a snack, enjoy the show. We hope that you enjoyed our show today. That's it for us. Lonnie, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people follow you, reach out to you, catch up with you? Uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Oxygen. Those are all good places to be. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Lonnie. We always appreciate having you with us. Uh, if you're trying to find me, you can find me at Anna G News on all social media platforms. And as always, you know, if you're looking for our content, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, YouTube. And if you want updates on the latest crime story, you can subscribe to our newsletter at TrueCrimeDaily.com. So until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. And as we always say, don't do crimes.